0: Thanks, James. My name's Andrew. It's... uh It's great to be with you tonight, church. I'm one of the pastors here at Unity Church as well. I'd like to add my welcome to Rowan's. Uh, Good of you to come out tonight. I hope you've had a good week. Uh, It's great to gather together as God's family, uh, sitting under his word. uh, And we want to make sure that what we say from the front up here is true to God's word. And so I'd love for you to keep your Bibles open tonight as we roll through John chapter nine. Uh, There'll be questions a bit later on as well. So uh, there'll be a number up on the screen. Feel free to text in some questions and we'll try and answer those for you at at the end of the talk. Well, John chapter 9 truly is uh, one of the best parts of John 9. I really enjoyed kind of preparing for this uh, talk. It's funny, you know, my my little daughter, she's two and a half years old, we we call her Ellie, Uh, she in her little kid's Bible loves this story. She calls it the mud story. She's like, Daddy, we we read the mud story tonight. And uh, I'm like, yeah, great, this is sermon prep, right? Let's pray and ask God to help us unpack this word tonight. (coughs) Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for your Son, Jesus. Thank you that he is the light of the world. And Lord, as we sit under your word tonight, we ask that you would keep shaping and molding us. Please, would you convict us by your Spirit and grow us into Christlikeness. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, the phenomenon of sight amazes me. You know, I still remember uh, sitting in physics class and, and learning that Color is reflected light i don 't know if you know that, uh, but to to see color is to see reflected light, and so if you see something that 's white it 's all of the spectrum of light reflected back into your eye. If you see black that 's none of the the light reflected back into your eye and, and then if you 've got one of those red pens uh, you see this is like Red frequency reflecting back in your eye, like light is amazing uh, it 's so cool, and, and our eyes the way our eyes work amazes me. Um, you know without light we don 't have sight, and not everyone 's eyes work uh, i 've got an aging grandma she 's pushing ninety uh, she 's got a um, macular degeneration in her eyes now, and it 's been really sad over the last five years seeing her life transform as she 's lost her sight. She's had to develop new habits, new ways of uh, going about her house, new ways of accomplishing tasks. And, and she's got an iPhone, which is really helpful because Siri can help her and send, send messages and stuff. But it is sad when someone loses their sight. And this next section in John's gospel is all about a man who has no sight. Uh, it's it's going to um, be a man who is born blind. Now, uh, in John chapter 9, we don't get to know much about this man. He doesn't have a name. He's got no backstory. All we know is that this guy can't see. He, he literally lives in a permanent state of darkness. He's unable to see the lights of Ephesus. He's unable to uh, see the vibrant colors of the Middle East or, or see his friends. Or uh, For him, his whole world was darkness. And the question on the disciples' lips at this point is Why? And so in verse 2 of chapter 9, we read, Rabbi, who, who sinned, <clears throat> this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, you know, whenever we come across things that shouldn't be the way they are, whenever we come across evil or, or disaster or sickness, if we're honest, there's a little question that raises for us. Why did this happen? Did this happen because of something that I did or something that was collectively uh, responsible? It's, it's similar to the question of why did Bad things happen to good people. And that's the question the disciples are asking here. What's the reason behind this man's blindness? Now, like most Jews of their day, the disciples saw a a, a sin and suffering as an intimate connection. Uh, In one sense, they're kind of correct about this. So they kind of offer these two options. They say there's either personal responsibility, it's the man's fault, or they say it's, it's parental responsibility. And both of these, in their way of thinking, are actually kind of valid options. See, this idea of personal responsibility uh, is a kind of a general rule that flows throughout the Bible. An example of this would be kind of Romans 1, where we see God who gives us over to the desires of our heart. He gives us the appropriate penalty as punishment. But this man, he was born blind. And so the other option presented is that maybe it was the fault of his parents, This is also a consideration because in Deuteronomy chapter 5, God says he's a jealous God punishing children for the iniquity of parents. And so there's a correlation here that the the disciples kind of see between sin and suffering. And so these thoughts, they're valid. But look, here's the thing. These are only generalizations. And once we move from generalized statements about the origin of human sickness to tight connections between sin and suffering of an individual, we actually go beyond the evidence of the Bible. And so, can a specific illness or experience of suffering be the direct consequence of a specific sin? The Bible's answer is yes, that's possible, sometimes. Uh, but, but these are the exceptions and not the rule. The Bible points to a much bigger generalization that God is actively in control of all things, including sickness and suffering. And it's that that helps us make sense of Jesus' response in verse 3. Take a look. He responds saying, Neither this man nor his parents, this came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. So what is Jesus saying here? That God blinded this guy from birth just so that Jesus could show up on this day and heal him, so that Jesus would look great. The fact that we're in a broken world is obvious. We all die. But more than that, Romans 8 says that this world is groaning because of sin, and it's waiting to be put right. There's a sense amongst us where we think that God should make everything easy and perfect for us. But there's something far more important than our comfort. Something far more important than what we want, and that is god 's glory, friends, despite our disabilities or our sicknesses, despite the brokenness around us, God is in control, and God is in control of his glory. God can use everything and anything, even sickness, to the point to point to his glory and greatness and This should be a great comfort for us. it should be a comfort because no matter what we 're going through, no matter whether we can see reasons why or not, God will bring glory to himself through it. Now this man, he's broken, he's living in a broken world, yet he was born blind, and so he he was born blind so that you and I and he might see. Irrespective of the cause of of his blindness, Jesus is emphasizing that this man's blindness was 100% within God's control. And in fact, it's this blindness that's about to be used as a living parable as Jesus continues to display the works of God. But there's actually something even more profound to see than just a man regaining his sight. Jesus is again claiming to be the light, the light in a dark and broken world. Check it out, verse 5. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Just last week in chapter 8, during the annual candle lighting ceremony in the Festival of Booths, Jesus claimed this very thing. He claimed to be the light of the world. And here we are now, just weeks later, he's making the same claim. He's saying that he is the light of the world. And these verses are crucial because they signal how the healing of the blind man is to be understood. How it's to be understood in light of the Old Testament backdrop. And so when we turn to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 42, he says this, I am the Lord, I have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from dungeon and to those sitting in darkness from the prison house. A little bit later on in Isaiah, we read of the suffering servant who fulfills these very promises. God's servant appointed to be the light for the nations. It's a picture of salvation from dungeons and prison houses, salvation from judgment. God will send his Messiah who will bring salvation from that judgment. And this is pictured as opening blind eyes to to give people sight, spiritual sight, And so it's with this background in mind that we're to understand what is about to unfold before us in these next verses. John is going to tell us that the long-awaited Messiah who brings salvation really is Jesus. And Jesus is about to open the man's eyes. And we're supposed to see this Old Testament connection. It's really helpful. So in verse 6, Jesus spits on the ground like like an American Texan guy. He kind of conjures up some mud and he spreads it on the man's eyes. And he tells the man, he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, word of advice, don't try this at home. Don't get like earth and put it in your eye just if you've got eye problems. Guys, this guy, he comes back and he comes back with his eyes fixed. He comes back with his eyes healed, able to see. Nowhere ever has this happened Someone who was born blind being able to see. And you would think that everyone would be over the moon, right? But it's interesting because what follows is a series of interrogations simply because this man can see. He can see. And so here John is going to show us four different responses to the fact that this man can see. Groups of people who, for their own reasons, are reacting the way they do. I've uh, only just recently started watching Suits. I know there's like eight seasons now or something. But but in the same way that Harvey is always trying to get to the truth, John is a little bit going like an investigative journalist, trying to help us get to the truth. And so the first port of call is to this man's neighbours. And these guys these guys are a little bit confused. Look at verse eight. He says his neighbours and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, "Isn't this the one who used to be who used to sit begging?" And some said, yeah, he's the one. Others were saying, no, no, but he kind of looks like him. And all the while, the man's there, and he's jumping up and down going, yeah, that's me, guys. I'm the one. It is me. Trust me. This is flipping hilarious, right? It's almost as if some found it easier to believe that the blind man had somehow kind of vanished, disappeared, and that this um, impersonator had come along with a striking resemblance to this guy, but could actually see. It's bizarre, And yet what we get from this first uh, um, port of call is that we get the bare facts of the case. So the blind man, he says, look, there was a guy, uh, they were calling him Jesus. He made some mud, spread it on my eyes. He told me to go to the the pool of Siloam and wash. So I did it. I went, I washed, I received my sight. Those are the facts of the case. This guy doesn't even really know who Jesus is. It's understandable because he was blind, right? And so just, he only knows that people were calling him Jesus. And so I find it super ironic when the neighbors ask this guy, where is Jesus? How is he supposed to know, right? He couldn't even tell them what Jesus looked like at this point because he's never actually met him. Well, when something big like this happens, when such an extraordinary event Uh, happens like this. It kind of deserves an opinion from the local authorities. Uh, The local religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, are kind of to weigh in. What are they to make of this healing that's just taken place? And so in verse 13, we see that they, they take the man who was previously blind and they take him to the local leaders. And it's interesting because now John gives us a key bit of information in verse 14, which helps us understand the Pharisees' reaction at this point. Verse 14 says, The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. It was a Saturday, the the holy day, the day on which rest was made. Sorry, the the day that was made for rest, at which no work was to be done, right? And here he is, Jesus, he's doing this again. You may remember just back to chapter 5, when Jesus heals the paralyzed man. What day does he do it on? The Sabbath day, that's right. This time, though, Jesus hasn't just broken one kind of Jewish oral rule, but he's, he's broken a second one at least as well. You see, in addition to just healing the man's sight, he's also managed to break a rule about kneading. You know, like making bread, like kneading. So the whole like mixing mud with saliva thing has been deemed to be work, and so the guy's actually in trouble not just for healing on the Sabbath, but for making mud. Bizarre. And so... They say in verse 16, they say, well, this man is not from God. Why? Because he does not keep the Sabbath. And instead of being amazed like the neighbors, the Pharisees are outraged. And they're very suspicious. They're skeptical that this man was blind in the first place. Check it out, verse 18. The Jews didn't even believe that this man was blind and had now received sight. And so John tells us that there's division amongst them, and and they just can't come to a consensus, this group of Pharisees. And so they call in more witnesses. They call the man's parents. So the Jewish leaders, they ask the parents, they say, Hey, is this your son, verse 18? Are you sure he was blind? How then does he now see? Now, uh, last year there was a case in the States. There was a little girl, she was born the closed windpipe it was fused but in november last year at three years old doctors were able to perform some life-changing surgery that opened this girl's windpipe and she was able to finally speak for the very first time the parents of this girl who heard mama and "Dada" for the first time were overjoyed they were overjoyed to hear their daughter's voice for the first time and that's the right reaction right for the parents of this blind man, though, they, sh- they should have been overjoyed. They should have been amazed, telling all their friends, showing their son the, the sights and colors of, of the world around him, showing them photos of family members, like this is your cousin that you've never actually seen in person uh, before. Like if they had TV, they'd be saying, hey, look, this is a screen at moving images and swipe right. It's so interesting to note that their response doesn't contain any excitement. Verse 20, they say, look, we can confirm this is our son, but we've got no idea how he now sees, nor who it was that opened his eyes. This man's parents, they're scared. They're afraid. And those are safe answers. Those are answers that won't get them into trouble. John goes on in verse 22, he tells us there was already a, a sort of search warrant out for Jesus That anyone who would confess that Jesus was the Messiah, they would be banned from the synagogue. Banned from meeting with God. And so these parents, they skirt responsibility. They defer to their son. Verse 23, they say, ask him. He's of age. You see, the parents, they they don't want to face any persecution. They don't want to face any opposition. They're, They're more interested in protecting their relationship with the authorities. And they certainly don't want to be expelled from the synagogue. It's funny, isn't it, how much fear of what others think robs us of finding real joy? I don't know if you find that. Do you find that sometimes you want to celebrate what Jesus has done, or, or someone becoming a Christian, or getting baptized, or, but you pull back because of the fear of others? Or perhaps, like these Pharisees, you, you pull back from Jesus because of fear of what your mates will say, or what your family will say, or, or even perhaps your spouse, or your boyfriend, or girlfriend. Once again, Israel Folau was in the media this week. When someone asks you, what do you think of his post, how will you respond? Will you skirt away from the truth? cower to the sort of social pressures of this age? Or will you stand up and exclaim that the Bible is clear about people's destiny? Sure, you might not have uh, done it the way that Israel did. Uh, You might have said things slightly differently. But the point is, is that when you're questioned about this man who claims to be a Christian, how are you going to answer? Well, the parents, they're robbed of joy, but not of the miracle. It's interesting that their reply uh, confirms the fact that this is their son and that the miracle has occurred. The guy can clearly see now. And so, unsatisfied with the response from the parents, the Pharisees, they once again, they turn to the man to give further testimony. They haul this man back in, and they start out with a really interesting phrase in verse 24. They say, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Now, this is not some sort of, hey, uh, praise God for what he's done in your life. Uh, Great to see that you can see again. This isn't that kind of a statement. It's actually more like, listen, son, before God, own up and admit the truth. Yeah? The truth they want confessed is that Jesus is a sinner. And the Pharisees are predetermined that Jesus is a transgressor. And so it doesn't add up. There must be something more to the case that they haven't been told yet. Now, this man, uh, who was once blind, but now can see, he doesn't really feel qualified to comment on whether Jesus is a sinner or not. Like He's not even met the guy face to face. He's just kind of heard him and received sight. But one thing he is sure of, verse 25, I was blind and now I see. That's the truth. Plain as day. He's saying, look, this morning I couldn't even see the, the big O on the eye chart. I couldn't even see the eye chart. But now I can read the bottom line. Like, I can see, it's awesome. And this man, like, he's been fairly polite up to this point, right? Fairly obliging. But when asked again, he replies with some provocative sarcasm, which I just love. And he says this, he says, Look, I already told you guys, did you not listen? Why do you want to hear it again, eh? Hey? <coughs> You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? Oh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, come on. You want to join the, join the winning team, boys? But, but it's this provocative question that only exposes the underlying issue. You see, the, the issue is one of authority. Whose authority will the men submit to? And in verse 28, they say, we're on Moses' team. That's my paraphrase. They didn't say it quite like that. And in verse 29, he goes on, he says, We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this guy, Jesus, we don't even know where he's from. And friends, this here is the heart of the dispute between Judaism and Christianity. The Pharisees knew that God had revealed his will through Moses. And yet, if the Jews had rightly understood what Mo- Moses wrote, then they would have grasped that he wrote of Jesus. Jesus. If you flip back to to John 5, you'll see in verse 39, Jesus is accusing them, saying, Hey, you guys, you pour over the Scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. And yet they testify about me. And this is why John is pushing his readers. As mentioned in his opening prologue in chapter 1, verse 17, he says, The law was given through Moses, but the fullness of divine revelation comes exclusively through Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. It's all about him, fulfilled by him. And I really do hope that you can see that. This man who's born blind, he gets it. And he just finds it remarkable that these Jewish leaders can't. They just can't fathom it. And in verse 32, he says, look, guys, throughout all of history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. And it's at this point that the Pharisees resort to sort of schoolyard bullying tactics. They start giving him names. You were born entirely of sin, they replied. And you're trying to teach us? Who do you think you are? Get out of here. And they excommunicate him. After all this interrogation, the evidence points to the fact that Jesus is the light. He's the light who gives sight And not just physical sight, but spiritual sight. And this raises the question for us, have we been brought to the decisive knowledge and faith in the light of the world? Can you truly see? Well, Jesus, he comes and he finds the man who is blind. Remember, this man, he still has no idea what Jesus looks like. And this blind man, he's been on a bit of a journey, a bit of a trajectory, if you will. Back in verse 9, he was fully blind and in total darkness. Uh, He doesn't even know really who's around him. By verse 11, he he recognizes that this guy called Jesus uh, was involved in helping him see. By verse 17, he calls him a prophet. And now here in verse 38, he finally meets Jesus face to face. He's eager to believe. And in verse 38, he throws himself down before Jesus. He worships the promised Messiah. Friends, have you seen Jesus? Do you believe? Have you, like this man, moved from knowing about Jesus to actually relationally knowing Jesus, knowing the light of the world? This man is not just healed physically, but he's actually made a disciple He was blind, but now he sees and he worships. And for many of us in this room, that's our story too. For many of us here today, we were blinded in darkness, ruling our own lives, whichever way we saw fit. And then Jesus finds us. The light of the world finds us and shines into our our lives and moves us from the darkness of our own sin and condemnation into his marvelous light. He gives us forgiveness through the cross. And today, down at the Vidact, we got to celebrate that very thing happening in the lives of three people. For Jonathan, for Ernest, for, for Juliana, they have all declared that they're in with Jesus. They fully trust him. They're on his team because he found them. He saved them. And he's given them sight. And so having helped us understand what it looks like to see Jesus, John closes out this chapter with some pretty weighty words. It's a summary of all that we've just seen. Read with me from verse 39. Jesus says, I came into this world for judgment, in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. This enacted parable where the one who did not see now sees. Those who supposedly do see, these Pharisees, they're actually blind, Jesus is saying. And now, at first, this might strike us as a little bit contradictory, right? Jesus came into the world for judgment. I thought Jesus came into the world to save it. Isn't that what John 3.17 says? Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to save? Yeah, you would be right. But the point here in verse 39 is not that his primary purpose was to condemn, nor even to simply divide the human race. No, no, he came to save... But saving some requires condemning others. And it's in this sense that Jesus has indeed come for judgment. It's an outworking of salvation. It's, it's as if, like, to not pay the bail for a crime. Well, that's not wrong. The thing is that we think that we all deserve to be bailed out of jail, right? But we don't. This is the paradox of the gospel, that in order to bring grace, it must also give offense. For in order to be grace, it must uncover sin. It must unveil our blindness. And so the person who resists Jesus binds himself to his own sin, making himself blind. Verse 18 and 19 of John chapter 3, I think it's on the screen goes on to say that anyone who believes in, in Jesus is not condemned there's salvation but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, and that's judgment because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light. Friends, by nature, we just love darkness. We're blinded to our very own sin. But Jesus, the light of the world, he came to open our eyes, to give us sight. Jesus will will bring light to those who want to see. And Jesus will blind those who don't want to see. Jesus will bring light to those who want to see. And he will leave those who don't want to see in their blindness. I wonder if you noticed who's listening in on this conversation between Jesus and the man. At the end there, we see the Pharisees are the very illustration of what Jesus is talking about. And they chime in. They say, hey, we're, we're not the blind ones, are we? They think they've got it all sorted. They, they think that they know the law inside and out. They can't possibly be in the blind camp. Can they? Verse 41, if you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. A little bit confusing, but what Jesus is saying here is that those who are willing to admit that they're blind, who who recognize that they're in a lost condition, crying out for illumination, they will not have the sin of unbelief. But those who claim to see and are not willing to admit that they're blind, those who reject the true light, therefore remain in their sin. That They kind of shut their eyes tightly, preferring to stay blind. For those of us who trust in Jesus, we're sitting here tonight in the light of Jesus because he sought us out. He found us, and by his grace, he's removed the scales from our eyes. And so we too can say with this man who was blind, I once was blind, but now I see. And when you stop, and when you think about that, I am just so thankful. If you can see Jesus, take a moment, take today, take every day to be thankful to him. And don't let the fear of others rob you of the joy of living fully and freely for Jesus. The fact you recognize Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Messiah, means that you are free from the darkness of sin, death, and judgment. You will see forever. How amazing is that? But sadly, the opposite scenario is also present. Those Pharisees who thought they had clear sight were actually blinding themselves by their rejection of the light found in Jesus. And for some here today, that could be you. <clears throat> you may think that life's fine, that you don't need God, or, or that your view of God is a little different to God's own view of God. You might think that you're just fine and that you can see perfectly well. But God, in his great love, he's shooting up a warning shot to you today. He's saying, friend, don't make the same mistake as the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Don't blind yourself to Jesus and your absolute need for him and his forgiveness. Just because you can see physically doesn't mean that you're not in the dark spiritually. Let Jesus give you true sight. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful that you are light. That you shone in the darkness and healed our blindness. Thank you that you gave us spiritual sight to see you for who you truly are. And may we worship you as our king and live for your glory. Help us not to fear men, but to honor you as we live out our lives in this broken world. And may we be able to be people who are so captivated by Christ that we can't help but tell of the amazing work you've done in our lives. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All
1: right. Well, we're going to spend some time uh, looking at some questions, which would be great. We would kind of change up the way we do that. So if you text them through, thank you. Um, Uh, A couple of questions. First one, Andrew, uh, why did God make us with a tendency to sin?
0: Mm, Good question. Uh, Wasn't mine. Okay. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, we were made with um, not a tendency to sin, but um, that we were made in right relationship with God. uh, And yet we still had free will. Genesis chapter 3, we exercise that free will and um, sin entered the world. And now all people, Romans say, are born as descendants of the first Adam. Born as descendants of Adam into sin. And so because of the fault of our first parents, Adam and Eve, uh, we are now in the lineage of Adam. Uh, so the question again?
1: Uh, why did God make us with a tendency to sin?
0: So I think our tendency to sin now is a, out of a rebellion and a rejection of God. Okay, and so. Yeah. So you're saying
1: that he, he didn't make us with a tendency to sin, but that's a reality of the free will we had, uh, and so therefore, um, because we're children of Adam, that's hmm. that's kind of what we're like.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so our proclivity now is to be living in rejection to God rather than with Him and for Him, and so um, that's why. Jesus comes and says, no, no, I'm the new Adam, the second Adam, and if you put your faith and trust in me, then you're you're made right with God.
1: Okay. Our second question, uh, what's the difference between knowing about Jesus Mm. and knowing Jesus?
0: Yeah, great. Um, God of the Bible is a relational God, uh, and so this isn't just about knowing facts and figures like you would for a physics or maths exam. Um, This is more like an arts degree. No, Uh, it's... (laughs) Sorry, it's unfair. Um, this is more like a, a relationship you have with your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, uh, or a relationship you have with your parents. Um, we are made as relational beings. God is a, is a triune God. He's in relationship. And so the, the claim of the Bible is that to know Jesus is not just to know about Jesus, but to be in right relationship with him. Uh, and so, as we read the Bible, as we, as we grow in our love and knowledge of Him, uh, Romans 12 says that we're being transformed into the likeness of Christ um, as we grow in our relationship with Him. Uh, does that answer the question? Okay. Thank you. Um,
1: oh, I don't know. I hope, you can talk it. to me more about that afterwards. Uh, we'll stick here with the last question. Um, wouldn't God be more glorified if He just bailed everyone out mm. rather than just some?
0: Mm, great question. Uh, yep, maybe. (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's a tough one. Um, it's a question that's asking, uh, how is God just in not saving all? Um, and the answer to that is, I don't really know. Uh, other than justice is dealt with, when dealt with rightly, um, has both a positive and a negative connotation. They're two sides of the same coin. And so in God dealing out his justice, as a good and right, loving God, um, that is ne- necessarily going to have a consequence. None of us deserve to be saved. Why does God save any of us? Uh, he chooses some. And and so the question is to go, why did he choose me? Why didn't he choose that guy?
1: Yeah. So, so in other words, he's... he's just he'd be totally just in not bailing out anyone totally yeah we all uh, deserve help and, and there's a sense in which that that the justice is good mm. uh, and so uh, we, we love justice we love it when justice is brought about So there's a goodness to that i guess you'd see um but in terms of why did he do it that way you don't know i'll ask him when i get to heaven yeah i'm the same <laughs> okay great <laughs> uh, yeah happy to ch- chat more on that yeah, and I think that yeah. is one of the questions to recognize and stand back to say, we got to trust God at this point because he went to a phenomenal length mm, huge. to score or to, to, to bail us out or some out and that Jesus died for us. Yeah. And so the only one that can cry unfair is really Jesus hmm. uh, who took the penalty for us. And so as we stand back, we've got to go, wow, God has gone to an extreme amount of lengths for this. Mm. So I'm going to trust him and look forward to the day when we stand back and see them, as you said, uh, through God's eyes and go, wow, we, I trust you in this.
0: Mm. Kind of ties back to that first question as well, in that Jesus is a remarkable person in history, such that he lived the life that we couldn't live, but then ends up on a cross dying the death that we deserve. Mm. And so in that, you see the forgiveness um, of God offered through the cross. And at at that point, I just go, yeah, I'm trusting. I'm all in with Jesus. I'm trusting Him. Um, Yeah. So that that helps cement the answer to that last question. So
1: if we've really seen Jesus, then we'll trust Him. I think so. Yeah, great point. Why don't we pray together? Lord God, thanks so much tonight uh, for the time we've had in Your Word, and for the time to think through what it is to see Jesus as He really is. We pray that tonight that by Your Spirit and through this Word that You would you would show yourself to us again and afresh, that for those of us who do trust Jesus, would not be kind of um, complacent or walk away from seeing the brilliance of who He is and what He's done, that we'd recognize that He has given us life forever. And for those of us who don't yet know Jesus, Lord, please shine the light of Jesus into our lives. Help people to see the reality of how amazing Jesus is and what He's done, that He is the ruler of all, and that he is the only way to have life and life to the full. So thanks for our time together, and thank you that no matter what, you are glorified, and that is for our good. We long for Jesus' name to be held high in this city, in this country, and across the globe. So, Lord, please do that. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.